Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Backtracker History Show of 2023 with me, Alice. Together we'll travel through the archives to find out a little bit more about stories from the past and bring them back to life. I have so many tales already lined up to share with you, from dastardly deeds to tales of daring, from places of interest to crimes of passion. This podcast has it all. But let's not delay, let's get started with the first one of the year. And today, we're travelling to Scotland. Hidden on a private estate in Rosshire, Ardross Castle has become one of the most talked about locations in Scotland in recent weeks as the location of the hit BBC reality series, The Traitors. This is a show that sees contestants battle against one another to discover who is a faithful and who is not in a bid to win up to £120,000. Each episode sees the contestants sit around the round table to banish one of their fellow teammates that they believe to be a traitor with mixed results and they also have to try to avoid being murdered by these secret traitors who lie amongst them. And all this action is set in a magnificent 19th century castle which sits within formal grounds and over a hundred acres of parkland on the banks of the River Olness. It was largely built in the 1840s on the site of a hunting lodge after the land was bought by the first Duke of Sutherland in the late 1700s. The estate was then sold to Alexander Matheson in 1845. He was born in Atterdale, Rothshire, the nephew of James Matheson. Alexander was a founder of Matheson & Co, which traded in tea and opium. It was also a merchant bank, with branches in India and China. Word of the Week And this week's Word of the Week is... Sporran, which is an essential piece of highland dress to accompany a Scotsman's kilt. Basically, it's an ornately decorated pouch that is worn hanging down the front of a kilt and is basically used as a pocket and have evolved a long way from the early doeskin bag containing ammunition or daily rations and nowadays they're used to carry anything from car keys to mobile phones. Alexander Matheson had done really rather well for himself with his businesses and so he returned to Scotland in 1839 and purchased Ardross, which at the time was 60,000 acres, for a mere £90,000. Eventually, he would end up owning almost a quarter of a million acres of land in Rothshire and Invernessshire, including all the land in Inverness on the west side of the River Ness, between the river and the Caledonian Canal. He then developed it by commissioning Alexander Ross, the architect, to build something for him in the Scots baronial style, adding around 30 extra rooms and 700 acres of pleasure grounds. 
One thing that Alexander Matheson was keen on doing was attracting tenants to agricultural tenancies, basically offering jobs, under the supervision of William Mackenzie, an engineer. Between 1845 and 1854, 2,600 acres of land were reclaimed by means of trenching, draining, liming, and 67 miles of dikes, with 11 miles of wire fencing erected, 28 miles of roads made, and 3,000 acres of ground enclosed and planted. As we heard, Alexander Matheson improved state workers' housing, as well as reclaiming land, so that by 1875, agricultural tenants had increased from 109 to over 500, with an arable acreage of 1,200. So Alexander passed away on the 27th of July, 1886, aged 81, and was buried on the family plot at the castle on the 2nd of August. After his death, Sir Alexander's son Kenneth inherited Ardross Castle, but by then, Duncraig Castle had been greatly enhanced, and he really wanted to live there instead. Here's a little bit about Duncraig Castle, which remained in the Matheson family until the 1920s, when it was sold to Sir Daniel Hamilton and his wife, Margaret who owned the neighbouring estate. The Hamiltons planned to use the castle as a community education centre for local people to receive training in activities such as weaving. But alas, this never happened, following the outbreak of World War II. Sir Daniel Hamilton died during the early stages of the war, and the castle was used during the hostilities by the government as a naval hospital. Following the war, Margaret bequeathed the castle to the local council and they converted the building to use it as a home economics college for girls, operating in this capacity until its closure in 1989. The building remained empty and neglected for the next 14 years, apart from a period in the mid-1990s during which it was used as a base for the filming crew of the BBC comedy mystery drama Hamish Macbeth starring Robert Carlyle. After running as a B&B for a bit, it was renovated and converted into luxury accommodation, and as of 2021, you can now visit and stay in the castle because it's open as a bed and breakfast, or you can have your wedding there. Word on the street. This week I decided to look at Scottish streets and I came across this one in Edinburgh. It's called Salamander Street and it takes its name, according to Boog Watson, from the fiery glass and chemical works there, suggesting what single type of creature could live there. The first cones of furnaces were erected by the Bottle House Coy in 1740 on the Sands near Salamander Street. The salamander, by the way, was historically associated with fire as they had a habit of sleeping inside logs and when the logs were put on the fire, they would attempt to escape, leading to the belief that they were created from flames.
Now let's get back to Ardros Castle, which, from 1887, was tenanted by Sir John Henry Greville Smythe of Long Ashton, Clifton, Bristol. Sir John was an English naturalist and collector of natural history specimens. He is best known for his large private collection of mammals, birds and insects, kept at his stately home of Ashton Court in Bristol. These specimens were collected on his extensive tours around the world, and he had built up such a collection that in 1884 he commissioned the architect, Charles Edward Davis, to create a museum in his home. The museum, along with other alterations, were completed 18 months later, in 1885. On his death, his wife, Lady Emily Greville Smythe, donated the bulk of the collection to the Bristol Natural History Museum, now known as Bristol Museum and Art Gallery. To be honest, I don't think I'll tell you any more about him, because he looks like he could be an episode all by himself. Andros Castle was sold in 1898 to Charles William Dyson Perrins, a captain in the Highland Light Infantry with interests in the Worcester Royal Porcelain Company. It wasn't long before he was making more alterations. Charles was heir to the firm of Liam Perrins, manufacturers of Worcester sauce. Described as a quiet and unassuming man, he nevertheless fulfilled many public duties in the area. He was born in Clanes, Worcestershire, in May 1864, and was a philanthropist who established the Royal Worcester Porcelain Museum, Dyson's Perrins Museum. And he must have really liked his name everywhere because, because he also set up Dyson Perrins High School in the Malverns and built Dyson Perrins Laboratory in Oxford University as well as becoming the Worcester High Sheriff in 1899. During Perrin's life, he amassed one of the most important book collections in the world, particularly strong in medieval illuminated manuscripts and printed ballads. To help finance and re-establish the Royal Worcester factory after World War II, he decided to sell his important collection of early printed books, and they were mostly dispersed in a series of sales at Sotheby's, in London in 1946 and 1947. His illuminated manuscripts and other remaining printed books were sold after his death in three major auction sales in 1958 to 1960, a record total for a single collection of 1,100,000 was raised by these sales. Items once owned by C.W. Dyson Perrins now form the basis of many other prominent collections, such as the Lessing J. Rosenwald collection, now in the Library of Congress. The family spent several months annually at Ardross, with house parties, enjoying the grouse moors, fishing and deer forests. Dyson Perrins continued Matheson's scheme of estate improvements, introducing electricity, purchasing additional lands at Glen Calvey and Dibberdale and modernising the castle. The East Lodge was built by Ross and Macbeth in 1898 and the Pintum extended. 
The estate was broken up and sold in 1937, although Perrins later brought back Arch and Dooney, the former factor's house. Mr and Mrs Austin Marden purchased Ardross Castle, Lilty Farm and over 80 acres and lived there until 1983 when the estate was sold. At the time of purchase, Austin Marden, 45, an Imperial Tobacco Company director from Bristol said, We have nine children. One of my daughters saw the description of Ardross Castle and told me it would not only be large enough for us, but would be big enough to give each of us five or six rooms. We are delighted with the castle and intend making our home there all the year round. In addition to the castle, we have bought Lealty Farm, which will now be the home farm. We have purchased the castle because it is so big and beautiful. We want it because there and in the grounds, our children will be able to grow up in complete freedom of surroundings. We will occupy just as much of the castle as we require. We will not live in any pretentious way. We have no intention of running Ardress Castle as a palatial residence. It will be great fun for our children. After changing hands through the decades, McTaggart family acquired the estate and began to restore the gardens. The formal garden, walled garden, shrubberies and lawns have been brought back into good management. Additional specimen trees have been planted and the woodlands extended. So now it's not only the setting for a brilliant television series, you too can stay there or even have your wedding there. Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's news, sports commentator from Bristol, Bernard Stevens, has announced that his New Year's resolution is to stop procrastinating, but he's decided to wait until tomorrow to start. Back in the day facts. Righto, let's start off with the 7th of January 1785, when Frenchman Jean-Pierre Blanchard and American John Jeffries travel from Dover, England to Calais in France in a gas balloon. It was the first flight over the English Channel, taking about two and a half hours. On the 8th of January 1973, we have the infamous Watergate scandal, the trial of seven men accused of illegal entry into Democratic Party headquarters at Watergate. 
the following controversy would eventually lead to the resignation of the then-president, Richard Nixon. On the 9th of January, 1349, the Jewish population of Basel in Switzerland were locked into a wooden hut constructed on an island in the Rhine. The location of this island is unknown, but it was possibly near the mouth of the Berzig, now paved over. The hut was then set alight, and the Jews locked inside were burned to death or suffocated. Why? Because these people believed that the Jews were responsible for the plague that had invaded their city. On the 9th of January 1967, more of The Monkees, the second studio album by the American pop rock band The Monkees, was released. The album was rushed out to capitalise on the band's popularity, catching even the band members by surprise. The band learned of the album's existence while on tour in Cleveland, Ohio, as it was released without their knowing. They were dismayed by the cover image of them, which, incidentally, was used in an advertisement for J.C. Penney. On the 10th of January 1920, the Treaty of Versailles takes effect, officially ending World War I for all combatant nations except the United States. It was signed on the 28th of June 1919 in the Palace of Versailles, exactly five years after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which led to the war. The other central powers on the German side signed separate treaties. Although the armistice of the 11th of November 1918 ended the actual fighting, it took six months of Allied negotiations at the Paris Peace Conference to conclude the peace treaty. The treaty was registered by the Secretariat of the League of Nations on the 21st of October 1919. On the 11th of January 1972, East Pakistan renames itself Bangladesh. And on the 12th of January, 1895, the National Trust is founded in the United Kingdom. The Trust, formerly the National Trust for Places of Historic Interest or Natural Beauty, is a charity and membership organisation for heritage conservation in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. In Scotland, there is a separate and independent National Trust for Scotland. The Trust was founded in 1895 by Octavia Hill, Sir Robert Hunter and Hardwick Rawnsley to promote the permanent preservation for the benefit of the nation of lands and tenements, including buildings, of beauty or historic interest. The organisation was given statutory powers, starting with the National Trust Act of 1907. Historically, the Trust acquired land by gift and sometimes by public subscription and appeal. But after World War II, the loss of country houses resulted in many such properties being acquired either by gift from the former owners or through the National Land Fund. The Trust now owns over 500 properties across England, Wales and Northern Ireland, as well as nearly 800 miles of coastline and countless nature reserves and wild landscapes. (music) 
Well, my friends, I'm afraid that's it for today's show. But don't worry, because I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. And I'd like to take a moment to thank Steve Shepherd because he has donated his voice to making this particular story come to life. At the time of recording this particular episode, it was announced that following the hit of the BBC series The Traitors, America was going to follow suit and have their own version, hosted by Alan Cumming. The US version will mix 10 reality stars with celebrity contestants, as well as 10 regular civilians. The prize fund would be $250,000, and all the excitement would be contained in 10 episodes, released onto Peacock, from Thursday, January the 12th. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.